Hey everybody and thanks for coming back again. I am back with some more creepy nopes and uh, today's is going to be a pretty kind of close to home national thing. A lot of people know about this one um, and if you don't you've been living under a rock. So today I'm going to talk about Susan Smith. So being from the Spartanburg area Union is only about, probably about 30 minutes down the road. Um, Susan Lee Smith was born September 26, 1971. Her parents are Linda Sue and Harry Roy Vaughn. And she was the youngest of three and the only girl. Now, Linda and Harry had a pretty volatile relationship like they were constantly fighting it was constantly like just negative energy in that family and it was not often very stable at all very 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 abusive in a multitude of ways now this of course leads to a divorce shortly after the divorce however Harry commits suicide in 1977 at this point Susan is about six years old. Now, people who knew her state that she was a really good student. She was really, really liked, you know, got along with a lot of people. Um, a lot of people liked her. So, you know, she was smart, um, you know, but she had some issues and she had issues at home. She even attempted suicide at the age of 13. Now, when Linda remarried, this is, this is Susan's mom, she remarried a, a man named Beverly Russell. Now, Beverly Russell was part of the Republican Party and uh, a Christian coalition leader. And he was, for lack of a better description, a jackass. <laughs> I mean, he seemed to be, you know, good for Linda, and they got along really well, and he was well-to-do, and he made good money, and, you know, but he didn't really have anyone's best interest in mind, or at least it didn't seem so. Now, unfortunately, shortly after the marriage, he begins to molest Susan, and this continues for many years. So when Susan was 16, she tells her mother of the molestation. So Bev gets kicked out. Um, you know, he, he is removed from the home. And unfortunately, this move was temporary. They attended family counseling sessions and, you know, wound up, you know, going through different types of therapy and, and all kinds of things to try and work through their issue. But I'm sorry, if something like that is going on, there is no working through an issue. That motherfucker would be out the door or have a bullet in his head. So, just saying. But they decided to take the route of family counseling. Now, it wasn't long after all of that, but he was let back into the home. From here on, her entire family begins chastising her for outing Bev and for saying that he was doing these things. Now, it wasn't that he said he didn't do it. I mean, they all knew it was happening, that it did happen. And 
he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, it won't happen again. It was a lapse in judgment, blah, 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 whatever. Unfortunately, he starts it again. Now, in her junior year of high school in 1988, she was voted president of the Junior Civitan Club, uh, where she was volu a volunteer in the community. Um, you know, she, she did nice things for the community with that, with that club. Now, the following year, for her senior year, um, she was awarded the friendliest female and started working at a grocery chain called Winn-Dixie. Now, I remember Winn-Dixie quite well. But I know some people are going to be like, what the hell is that? Um, that was a very popular uh, grocery chain there for a little while. Now, Susan was, um, during her senior year, DSS gets called again. All about the abuse and the molestation by Bev. But she is so scared at pressing charges that she drops everything. And she's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, this stuff's going on, but, you know, I don't want to get him in trouble again because I'm just going to get ridiculed, treated like shit, and abused like I was the first time. So it's easier just to take the shit than to be treated like shit by the entire family. So, uh, being afraid of this, all the allegations were sw swept under the rug. He saw no, you know, discipline for this. Now, Susan's job at Winn-Dixie soon sees some promise. She quickly moves up, becomes a bookkeeper for the store, and during her senior year of high school, we know that during that time, and while working here, she was actually sexually active with three different men um, during the same time frame. One of these, she was having an affair with a married man. Another was a younger boy. Now, both of them were co-workers. And then you also have man number three, Bev. So she's continuing this sexual relationship. That is still abuse. It is still, you know, statutory rape. You know, it is still rape. Because even though she's, you know, consenting to it to just, you know, get him off her back and, and whatever, that's abuse. Now, during this time, she becomes pregnant. She really doesn't know who the father is. I mean, she's got three different guys she's screwing around with. So knowing this, she speaks to a couple of them, she lets them know what's going on, and she's forced to have an abortion. I'm thinking more likely what she did is probably told Bev and said, you know, hey, look, I'm pregnant, and I don't think we want my mother to find this out, so you're going to have to pay for it. And I think that's probably most likely what happened. Either him or the married man. I don't think she did this to the younger guy. I don't think he knew anything about it. It was probably something that he uh, he either didn't know or or she... Um, made it out that, you know, it was just going to get handled. Now, the married man ends the relationship with her. During this time, she actually attempts suicide again by swallowing massive amounts of, like, aspirin and Tylenol. And, yes, while massive amounts are going to do something, 
it's not going to do that much. It might knock her out a little while. It might make her violently ill. It might, you know, I don't know. But Tylenol and aspirin, come on. You're going to act like you couldn't get a hold of anything else if that's what you were going to really try. You know, if you if you really wanted to, if, if it was not any more than a scream for help, you would have found something else and you just would have done it. You know, something like that tells me that the Tylenol and aspirin is more of a cry for help. Hey, I'm doing this. Look at me and see the fact that I'm doing this and, you know, show me the attention and love that I want. Now, she admits while being treated at the hospital that this is what she did when she was 13. Tylenol and aspirin. And again... It just shows me it wasn't really so much to end her life as as much as, look at me, I'm trying to tell you something's up here, you know, look at me and I'll, and I'll explain it further. Now, after all of this, she meets and begins a relationship with David Smith. David Smith works with Winn-Dixie as well. I believe he was a manager at the time. And he had actually been involved in a relationship with another woman. He was actually engaged to this other woman. He was about to start a life and a happy life with this other woman. Now, once this relationship begins with Susan, he decides he's going to end this engagement and be with Susan. It doesn't take long before she's knocked up. Now... During this time, David's brother actually passes away. That is 11 days before he marries Susan. This is on March 15th, 1991, that he marries Susan. Now, David's home life also proved to be pretty troublesome. Um, at, with his brother's death, and then his father actually attempted suicide... His mother moves away at this point, kind of abandoning the family. You know, so he's got a lot of struggles and, and things on his own plate to deal with. Now, the two had actually welcomed Michael Daniel, October 10th of 1991. Michael was showered with love and affection. Like, they absolutely just loved him and cuddled him and coddled him and just... He was like the light of their life. They were very, very happy and very excited about this. <coughs> However, the couple had a pretty strained relationship. They fought. They had issues. There were, you know, trust issues. There was, you know, fidelity issues. <coughs> and... They, their relationship was pretty strained, to say the least. As Susan proved to be very materialistic, she often turned to her mother, and of course, Bev, for some financial assistance. Whether it was, I just want my son to have the best, I just want to make sure that he has everything he needs, you know, or guilting them that, you know, hey, we need a better car, or blah, 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 blah. You know, it was also always some kind of financial assistance. Well, obviously, if Bev was giving the money over, it was either to keep her quiet or because it was still going on. Now, the two um, 
separated. So, you know, David and, and Susan separate. And then they get back together. And then they separate. And then they get back together. And then they fight some more and separate. And then get back together. <laughs> Their first separation, uh, March of 1992, was for about seven months. Where they um, tried off and on to actually fix the relationship. However... Susan was actually dating another former boyfriend during the breakup. Now, in November of 1992, Susan was pregnant again. So, here she was, screwing around with this ex-boyfriend. She's still screwing around with David. She's still screwing around with Bev. Like, you know, three guys yet again. So... You know, I gotta put this out there because, you know, as a survivor of, you know, childhood sexual abuse, you know, you, you're gonna go one of two ways. And I've, I think I've mentioned this in a couple of other, um, episodes, but, and this is something that I'm always gonna kind of throw out there. There are two things that are gonna happen. One of two things are gonna happen. The person in question, the one being messed with, is either going to become over-sexualized or over-sexual and resort to sexual things because they think that that's what people want out of them. Been there, done that. You know, or they're going to become a prude that, you know, doesn't want to hear about sex, doesn't want to know about sex, doesn't want to engage in sex, you know, and, and that's kind of a four-letter word to them. So, it's something they don't want to do, or don't want to talk about. It, it's, it's not something, it's one of those very, very overtly private things, instead of going, you know, the other way, like I mentioned, and them not giving a shit and just being kind of promiscuous. So, here she is again, pregnant again, and she and David get back together. I guess she tells him, like, no, 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 there's no possible way, this baby's yours, blah, blah, blah. I don't really know, okay? I haven't looked at, you know, I don't want to say that these boys were not David's, because I really don't know. But it looks like there was there were possibilities. So, <coughs> at this point... You know, here they are, they've got back together, and the two borrow some money from Linda and Bev and use it as a down payment on a house. Now, during the pregnancy, Susan began getting way more and more distant. She's complaining about the pregnancy. She's always having issues. Like, stuff's always pissing her off. Now, during the pregnancy, during all of this, this shows me... That she was having signs with depression already. Now, I had this with my youngest before she was born. And had to be put on, you know, Zoloft and, you know, those kinds of things before she was born. Um, it's not uncommon for someone to begin having postpartum, you know, prior to the birth. And unfortunately, I've been there. I've had those issues myself. 
So it's a very good possibility that she was just having some hormonal imbalances that were causing this postpartum depression prior to the baby's birth. Now, if she'd report her feelings um, to her OB, or if she had reported her feelings to her OB, she might have gotten the proper help. This is probably something that she did not speak about. It was more of, um, you know, whatever, I'll just handle it. You know, back in those days, we didn't really talk so much about depression. They didn't really look at it as an issue. You know, my mother had issues with postpartum with, with some of us. You know, my grandmother had it, you know, with my uncle. Um, you know, it's something that women go through that, that for the longest time it was just, oh, whatever, you just need to cuddle them and get used to it and you'll be good. When really, it's a hormonal imbalance that sometimes we need something to be able to, you know, just just curb that a little. Not necessarily put us out and, and get us drugged up, but just something to kind of mellow our, our nerves. So, if she would have gotten the help, if she would have talked to her OB um, a little bit more in detail, I'm thinking that maybe she would have, because I think in, during this time, they were starting to, um, you know, go down that road and try and figure out what this really was. So, June of 1993, David is actually really super lonely, and since Susan has distanced herself, he be begins another relationship with a co-worker. <clears throat> Why is it always people that you work with? I mean, I guess it's people that you could just consistently see, and when you have a family, you know, it's it's not like you're going out to the bar every night or whatever, so it's just whoever's in your life. But my goodness, you know, none of them could keep it in their fucking pants. Anyway, with that said, Alexander Tyler was born August 5th, 1993, and Susan and David reunite yet again. However, three weeks later, he's upset, he's not happy, and he leaves again. The relationship is finally over. Now, regardless of this, they're good parents. They're great parents. They treat these kids like gold. You know, they're, they're good to their kids. Susan starts a job as a poop bookkeeper at Conso Products and is promoted pretty quickly to executive secretary position for the president and CEO, J. Carey Finley, whose son just happened to be an eligible bachelor in the area. Now, Tom Finley, this, this son of the CEO and president, and Susan <clears throat> start knocking boots. They start seeing each other. They start, you know, hanging out, spending time together. This was probably September of 1994, but she was planning a future with him. Like, it was pretty apparent that she wanted him and she wanted to be with him. But he was trying to end it. Now, October 17th of 1994, days before her divorce papers were filed, Tom sends Susan a Dear John-style letter stating that they just have di different backgrounds and that he does not want children or to have to raise hers. 
He even encourage her, encourages her to act more self-respectful and referred to a situation in which she and a friend's husband were actually found in a hot tub making out at a party at the Finley estate. <clears throat> that estate obviously belonged to Tom's father, which was Susan's boss. He says to her in this letter, and I will read the entire letter um, at the end of the the episode, but he says to her, like, if you want to catch a nice guy like me one day, you have to act like a nice girl. And, you know, nice girls don't sleep with married men. Well, she'd been doing this from the time that she was a child. So that's kind of all, all that she knew. You know, because of Bev and that relationship, obviously, was a married man, an older man. So... You know, when again, when you're the victim of sexual abuse, you, you go one way or the other. <coughs> you use sex. Some of these people use sex to try and control the situations. Make the men happy. Get you what you want. You know, or control the situation. If somebody's mad at you, but you, you know, decide to just jump down on your knees and, you know, give them a, a happy ending, you know... <laughs> then maybe it'll lessen the tension and you guys can get past it or they'll forget about why they're mad. You know, I'm going to say, I, I used this for a little bit. Like, not necessarily in that specific way, but, you know, I'm not afraid to put it out there and just say, you know, I had a skewed idea of sex and what it accomplished. You know, it shouldn't be a constant thing that it's the only thing to lessen the blow of an issue or, you know, and pardon the pun there. But, you know, I knew and looked at it as that sex was what men wanted it's what made them happy. And it wasn't until I met my current husband that I found out that I didn't actually have to force myself to do what I thought he wanted in order to be happy. I realized with my husband that I could be me and not have to resort to that unless it was something that I wanted to do, you know, to get him to be happy with me. He was just genuinely happy. He actually genuinely loves me. So, you know, it takes a lot for a woman to, to realize that after, after being through some of those things. Now, Susan was absolutely devastated by the letter from Tom Finley. What he didn't know <coughs> was that Susan was actually still being sexually involved with David, Bev, and him throughout this time period. During the time of her relationship with Tom, all this was going on. She was still fucking two other guys. Now, apparently there was also an alleged affair with Tom's father as well, which doesn't really surprise me because all of a sudden she goes from being a bookkeeper and then all of a sudden she's the executive secretary. Um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if she spent a little time under his desk to get there. But, 
she apparently tried to tell Tom about that relationship and then it happened. And then he reiterates that he was just done with her and the relationship was absolutely permanently severed at this point. You know what? And I think I might I might go ahead and just jump down and, and read some of that now. Supposedly, um, one moment. Okay. Sorry, I had to take a moment. So apparently, he writes her a letter. She writes him another letter. Okay? And I've got a cop, I've got a copy here. So, dear Tom, just a note to say thank you for everything. I could never express in words how much you mean to me. I will always treasure our friendship and all of the many wonderful memories we have made. I want you to know that I have never felt... Oops. Oh no, I lost my spot. Okay. I want you to know that I have never felt with anyone the way that I feel when I'm with you. I've never felt so needed and you are a very special person and that's why I'm making, why making love to you is so wonderful. I know how you feel about our relationship and I respect that. I appreciate your honesty with me. I do want us to be friends forever and I'll never let anyone happen or anything happen that would change that. I do hope that we'll be able to date some and be together again someday. Even if we, but if we never made love again, my feelings for you would not change because having you as my friend is worth more than sex could, sex could ever be worth. Now, once again, I'm for, sorry for Saturday night I, and would take it back in a heartbeat if I could. I just really wanted to be with you, and I hated that I wasn't. Thank you for being there for me through all the rough times. You're a true friend. I want you to know that I always love and care for you for the rest of my life. You are my the best friend anyone could ever have. Well, I hope I said everything right. The bottom line is I'm glad we are friends, and if that is all we can be, then we will just have to do a hell of a job of being that. Who knows what the future holds for our relationship. I'm just going to live one day at a time. Once... One more thing before I go. Please don't ever hesitate, hesitate to call me if you need anything. I'll always be there for you. Friends forever with two little heart-shaped designs. Susan. Talk about juvenile. I mean, it's like, oh my god, we're BFFs. Like, oh my god. No. <laughs> but then she gets this response. And... And this is the best part. It's a fucking typed letter. <laughs> it's like, did he dictate it to his secretary? Did he? So it makes me kind of laugh just a little bit because the whole fucking thing is typed. So this is what he says. And then I'll go into everything that happened. So he tells her, dear Susan, this is a difficult letter for me to write because I know how much you think of me. And I want you to know that I'm flattered that you have such a high opinion of me. Susan, I value our friendship very much. You are one of the few people on this earth that I feel I can tell anything. You are intelligent, beautiful, sensitive, understanding, and possess any, many other wonderful qualities that I and many other men appreciate. You will, without a doubt, make a, some lucky man a great wife, but unfortunately, it won't be me. Even though you think we have so much in common, we are vastly different. We have been raised in two totally different environments and therefore think totally different. For my first two years in Union, I dated very little, but then Laura came along. We met at Conso, the company Finlay's father 
operates and where Miss Smith always also worked. <clears throat> and and I fell for her like a ton of bricks. Well, even though I fell in love with Laura, I had my doubts about a long-lasting commitment and never said anything, and I eventually hurt her very, very deeply. I won't do that again. Susan, I could really fall for you, but like I've told you before, there are some things about you that are not suited for me, and yes, I'm, I'm speaking about your children. I'm sure that your kids are good kids, but it really wouldn't matter how good they may be. The fact is, mm -hmm. I just don't want children. These feelings may change one day, but I doubt it. Now, with all of the crazy, mixed-up things that take place in the world today, I just don't have the desire to bring another human life into it. And I don't want to be responsible for anyone else's children either. But I'm very thankful that there are people like you who are not so selfish as I am and don't mind bearing the respons responsibility of children. But our differences go far beyond the children issue. We are just two totally different people, and eventually those differences would cause us, us to break up. Don't be discouraged. There is someone out there for you. In fact, it's probably someone that you may not know at this time, or that you may know but never expect. Either way, before you settle down with anyone again, there is something you need to do. Susan, because you got pregnant and married at such an early, early age, you missed out on much of your youth. I mean, one minute you were a kid, and then the next minute you were having kids. <clears throat> because I come from a place where everyone had the desire and money to go to college, having that responsibility of children at such a young age is beyond my comprehension. Anyhow, my advice to you is to wait and be very choosy about your next relationship. I can see that this may be a, a bit difficult for you because you are a bit boy crazy, but as the proverb states, good things come to those who wait. I'm not saying that you shouldn't go out and have a good time. In fact, I think you should do just that. But don't get seriously involved with anyone until you've done things in your life that you want to do first. Susan, I'm not mad at you about what happened this weekend. Actually, I'm very thankful. And as I told you, I was starting to let my heart warm up to the idea of us going out as more than friends. But seeing you kiss another man put things back into perspective. I remember how I hurt Laura, and I won't let this happen again. And therefore, I can't let myself get close to you. And as your relationship with B. Brown, reportedly friend Benji Brown, <clears throat> <clears throat> of course, you have to make your own decisions in life. But remember, you have to live with the consequences also. Everyone is held accountable for their actions, and I would hate for people to perceive you as an unreputable person. If you want to catch a nice guy like me one day, you have to act like a nice girl. You know, nice girls don't sleep with merry men. Besides, I want you to feel good about yourself, and I'm afraid that if you sleep with B. Brown, or any other married man for that matter, you will lose your self-respect. I know I did when we were messing around earlier this year. I care for you, but I also care for Susan Brown. I would hate to see anyone get hurt. Susan may say that she wouldn't care um, that her husband had an affair, but you and I know that that's not true. Anyhow, as I've already told you, you're a very special person. Don't settle for mediocre in life. Go for it all and only settle for the best. I do. It's 11.50. I'm getting very sleepy, but I want, wanted to write you this letter because you're the one who's always making the effort for me, and I wanted to return the friendship. Again, you will always have my friendship, and your friendship is one that I look forward... I will always look upon with sincere affection, Tom. 
I know it's a little long-winded. It was a bit much, but that gives you kind of an idea. She was. She was very, very boy crazy. She was very um, juvenile about the whole thing. And then he writes this out that it sounds like a freaking author's writing this shit, stating, I mean, you could see the differences in the intelligent way he spoke. And he had a higher idea of what he wanted for his life. So, with that being said, I'm going to kind of jump over to the events that came in after that letter. On October 25th, 1994, and this is the trigger warning because this is the, the full story, or this is a generalized idea of, of the story. Susan goes to the home of Shirley and Rick McLeod, knocks on the door, stating she's been carjacked at the intersection of Monarch Mills, and that her children were still in the car. A 23-year-old Susan is sitting, acting absolutely, you know, terrified, when a policeman comes and questions her. She states that a black man comes to her door at an empty intersection where she was stopped at a light, forcing her from the car and took off with the kids in the back seat. They do a composite sketch, but it's very generic. After two days, Susan and David are given polygraph tests ordered by Sheriff Howard Wells. David passes. Susan is inconclusive. There were too many inconsistencies in the story. Now, there were leaks to the press about issues in the story on the light. When the police checked the info on the light, they actually realized that she would have been on, would have had to been on a road perpendicular to where she was in order to be stopped at all unless there was another car on that road. Now, police begin to suspect Susan on day two of the case, but had hope that the boys were actually safe and just tucked away somewhere or with somebody, you know, thinking that, you know, maybe they're just somewhere and she's just got her facts incorrect or, you know, who knows. For nine days, she's seen all over the news, she's seen in the newspapers, she's seen on national news, and she has these pleas for the boys' return. Pleas that, you know, I just want them to be safe, and please just bring them home, and blah, 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 blah. Every time she does this, you don't see one tear fall from her fucking eyes. David's sitting next to her, crying his eyes out, wanting to know where his boys are, like scared to death for them, and she's sitting there with her tearless pleas for the children's return. Now, unfortunately, during all this, she mentions to a few people that she wants to know where Tom is. She tries calling him. She tries connecting with him. 
at some point, I believe she even goes to his home and he, like, you know, rejects her. And is like, what the hell? Why the hell are you here when you should be worried about your boys? Like, ugh. So it showed people that she wasn't as worried about her boys as her relationship with Tom. Now, on November 3rd of 1994, she is on CBS This Morning pleading, begging for the return of her children. However, right after this interview, and I mean like right fucking after this interview, they get off of that and Sheriff Wells comes up to her and says, all right, you need to come clean and you need to tell us what really happened we don't believe your story. What does she do? She doesn't sit there and deny it like you would expect her to do. She doesn't sit there and, you know, keep telling the story or maintain her innocence. She says, pray with me. And then begins to bawl her freaking eyes out and confesses to letting her car roll or pushing the car into John D. Long Lake. Drowning the boys. They were three years and 14 months. They were still strapped into their car seats. It seemed that the motive was that she wanted to try and save this possible relationship with Tom Finley. He made it very clear he didn't want any kids and he didn't want to raise anyone else's. So, obviously... The only thing to do was get the kids out of the equation. Susan claims that the act was absolutely not planned and that she just was not in her right mind at the time. You know, she states that she had obsessed over the breakup. She had left work early, um, picks the boys up, stops to talk to a friend in a parking lot, and expresses fears over Tom's reaction to her confessions. Tries to go see Tom. At this point, he kicks her out. She had left the boys with this friend, and then at about 8 o'clock, she goes and picks the boys up from, from her friend again and drives. And drives. And she states at this point that she just wanted to die, and she, you know, heads over to her mother's. Then she realizes, you know, alright, I'm just not in the right mind. I did it without, I just did it without thinking. Um, or she states that she was not in the right mind. Initially, she was going to kill all three of them. She was going to kill herself and she was going to kill the boys. And at the last second, she gets out of the car. When she realizes what she's done, she panics. And realizes at that point that it's just too, too late to save them. At least that's her story, that, that that's what she tells I highly doubt that. I don't believe at all whatsoever that she would would not be able to save them. You know, if if the water if it started going in the water and you're realizing what you've done, you go open that fucking door and and pull those babies out. You don't wait until the whole fucking car has submerged. You just don't. You don't. And this was something that, when this was all over the news, was absolutely heartbreaking. I remember seeing this and just bawling my eyes out. 
Now, the famous picture you see of the boys in the little white wicker chair was taken at a fast photo. My mother worked at one of those stores, so she knew the woman who had actually taken that photo. And I had seen that photo so many times, and that's all I could think is, oh my God, like it's really that close to home. Now, police had searched all near bodies of water, including John D. Long Lake, but the car was a lot further out in the water than they had actually thought. They only checked about the first 30 feet into the water. It wasn't until Susan mentions, like, where they went in and how they went in that they realized that the kids and the car are 122 feet from shore. The divers go in, and major trigger warning here because this breaks my heart every time. They find the car, and when they get to the door, they see a little hand up against the window. One tiny little hand on the window of her Mazda sedan. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Being a mom of six and a grandmother to one, like, I can't. I can't fathom how someone can do something like that to these two poor, defenseless little boys. When they pulled the car from the water and loaded on the wrecker, the boys poor little bodies were still seen in their car seats, strapped in. They had no chance of survival here. None during this horrific event. And my heart goes out to think what kind of fear that they had to go through. Those poor babies wondering where their mama went. Now, after all this, and after David has refused to speak to her and everything, she writes him an I'm sorry letter. I do not have the I'm sorry letter. I wish I did. However, she apologizes for what she had done. Okay. Or so she says. But... At the same time, she complains more about her feelings and how her feelings are being overshadowed by the fact that everyone was grieving for these two little boys, thinking that she should have been the focus and not these two poor innocent babies that she had just murdered. If this doesn't show you that she has issues with her mental state. I don't know what else would. Now during the trials and during the investigations and everything on, on what happened and, and in order to try her. They do find out and they do get an admission from, by Beverly Russell. That he had started uh, molesting Susan. Again, at the age of 16. Um, what we also find out 
is that the molestation and the sexual abuse of Susan lasted until just a few months before, or just shortly before, the murder of these two little boys. <laughs> now, Susan was diagnosed as having a dependent personality disorder, uh, which was persuasive psychology dependence on, dependence on others, and major depression. She was incarcerated in Columbia, uh, Columbia, South Carolina, sentenced to 30 years to life, and David divorced her the following year in 1995. Now, 30 years to life. 30 years to life. So she's got a possibility for parole. This crazy bitch has a possibility to get out. Now, during this incarceration, she's been caught with two officers who were charged after having sex with an inmate. She did it twice. Well, <laughs> multiple occasions, but caught with two separate officers. One of them even has gone as far as, like, reaping the benefits and the rewards of it. Because he's been on Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, he's written a book. Like, he's, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. He's taking advantage of all that. And is not a looker and never was. Now, at that point, she was moved from Columbia, South Carolina to Greenwood, South Carolina. And FYI, this bitch's ass is eligible for parole in 2024. We got three years and there's the possibility she might get out. Now, you want to hear something really fucked up? She keeps photos of the boys in her cell. Plastered to her wall. You know, other inmates would put, you know, pen pals. They're going to put their family pictures. You're going to, you know. And yes, they were her family. But I don't think it's there because of grief. I think the bitch is just nuts and thinks that she's going to see him when she gets out. I mean, that's how it looks. Is, oh, my boys, I'm going to see you guys soon. Well, maybe that's so. I just wish somebody would have fucking put her out of her misery in there. She gets out, and someone's going to do it. Now, it's almost like she's just out of touch with the reality that she actually killed them. And that they're gone. That it was her that did it, and it wasn't just a freak accident. But she has such a disconnect with what she's done. Now, David remarried in 2003 and has a very loving wife, Tiff Tiffany, and children, Savannah and Nicholas. I personally was lucky enough to meet David and photograph his family at one point. Um, great people. Wonderful, nice people. I didn't realize, honestly, because I dealt with Tiffany, 
I did not realize who I was dealing with until they rang out and one of my coworkers comes over and is like, you know who that was, right? No, I, I didn't. I mean, he had changed. It had been X amount of years. Like, he had changed. He wasn't... It had been 10 plus years. Well, no, right, right at 10 years. You know, maybe a little longer when I actually was able to photograph them. But, you know, I didn't know. So when Tiffany came to pick up pictures, I just remember, you know, her saying, you know, thank you for not making a big deal out of it and not asking a shit ton of questions. And I was just like, you know, honestly, I didn't realize who, who he was until you guys had left. And I was like, and I'm not, you know, I'm not one to, to do that anyway. I was like, it's not my business. You know, I, my prayers go out to him and that's about where I left it. And she was just like, you know, thank you so much. And that was it. But very, very nice, loving people. And I hate that he had to go through that and that these, he doesn't have these boys. Now, just to put this in perspective, Michael would have celebrated his 30th birthday this year. Alex would be 28 later this year. Now, their memorial initially was set up lakeside at John D. Long Lake. They were, however, removed later due to the mysterious things that started happening. There was all kinds of interesting things happening at the lake. Um, you know, they wanted to turn it into supernatural things and whatnot. But I didn't want to, you know, jump into any of that. I just wanted to leave the story what it is. The memorial then was, was removed sometime after 1996 and moved up the road to a location that was roadside heading to the lake so that it didn't cause any huge gathering like right in that in that spot the pier that the car rolled off of actually um was removed a few years later um and the lake was closed down for two years um and then later reopened um seven others since the boys have drowned in john d long lake um and I won't say where the boys are buried exactly. I mean, it's not like it's not public knowledge. But I will say, the boys are buried together in the same coffin. They died together. They were buried together. And they will stay together. This story, this case is something that will always stick with me. Um, I worked with Susan's nephew. At one point, he was one of my employees. Um, and he even said, you know, everybody knows she's batshit crazy. Um, I didn't ask a lot of questions. Um... You know, he volunteered the information, and I left it at that. But, you know, this case is, is definitely one that kind of started... I mean, we heard about moms killing their kids and, and things like that and before this. But this was just different. 
This was one for the books. Because she pled for their return. Only to find out she did it. And since it was nationally publicized that this woman did this, she was 23 at the time. She was young. And if you can't take it, shit, she could have taken the kids to her mother and said, I can't do this. You know, she could have told David, take the kids. I, I can't do this. But she didn't. You know, you have all these moms out here that can't have kids or beg to have a child. I mean, but then you have woman, a woman that does this. Anyway, I'm going to get on to another rant if I don't stop now. So, hope you guys enjoyed the information. I'm not going to say the case because it, it's a tough one. Um, it's, a, it's always been kind of a tough one. But, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed. If you guys have any questions, concerns, um, any corrections for me, anything like that... Please email me at serialzombiemoms at, at gmail.com and go to the Facebook page or the Instagram. I will post pictures of Susan and David and of the boys as well as their memorial. And um, But there's not going to be any um, post-mortem pictures or anything like that. That's just not going to happen in this case. Um, we'll remember those sweet boys as they were. So if you have any questions, concerns, please get a hold of me. Let me know. And I have a very, very mysterious, but, well, I don't want to say mysterious. Maybe I do. Questionable might be the better, the better term for the next episode. And I really hope that you enjoy that case. It is one from Down Under that has become quite the mystery. And I hope you are ready because that one's going to be a doozy. Have a great one, guys.